Hello and welcome to the Star Wars Universe Podcast. And the Animation Deliberation Podcast. We're giving you the double team once again. That means we're talking about the Bad Batch. And today it's Season 1, Episode 2, Cut and Run. All that and more after a commercial break we have no control over. Welcome back. I'm Matthew from the Star Wars Universe Podcast. Once again, we're doing these episodes of The Bad Batch in partnership with the great people at the Animation Deliberation, today represented by Jay Scotty St. Clair. Jay, how are we doing today? Doing fantastic. I am one with the Force, and the Force is with me. There you go. There you go. We have so many people on the Stranded Panda Podcast Network who want to talk about this show. Today, unfortunately, Zohair Ali can't join us. He's currently uh, mid-travel for Mother's Day things with his family. But we do have Paul Hoppy. Paul was the original host with me on Star Wars Universe Podcast. He and I have been talking about Star Wars for, oh, about 27 years or so now. But somehow we still manage to surprise each other with new opinions. Mm-hmm. And uh, I asked him about a month ago if he wanted to be a part of Bad Batch. He was like, no, no. I, I, <laughs> I've, I've done enough. I've done enough. I was about 10 minutes into the first episode when I thought, yeah, Paul's going to come on eventually. And here he is. Uh, nice. Paul, how are we doing today? <laughs> I'm doing good, you know. Uh, I enjoyed this episode. I enjoyed the uh, the the pilot movie, basically episode as well, uh-huh. as well as mm-hmm. y'all's coverage of it. Um, well, thank you. And, and yeah, it's just uh, it's good to be here and uh, talking about a show that I enjoy. I figure I'll come on the episodes when I like the episode, and if I don't, I'll be like, "Hey, eh, you all do it." There you go. There you go. <laughs> yeah, I know some sometime down the road, uh, the Animation Deliberation podcast has absolutely no lack of content. But I know at some point down the road, we definitely want to have Paul on to talk about uh, some animes that are near and dear to his heart. So, oh, for sure, yes. yeah, that would be yeah. fantastic. Cool. Definitely, definitely. I know um, Paul is the one, along with Jacob Leachich, who got me into Avatar: The Last Airbender, mm. which that is technically not in uh, anime. And I'd like to be at least a part of at least one one of those conversations, but you should definitely have Paul on for that. Oh, certainly. And I will say, at some point, I definitely want to have both you, J. Scotty, and Zuhair Ali. I think that's going to be kind of our main team, both because you two have such a great rapport together. And I want folks to hear that so they know what to look for in the Animation Deliberation podcast, and just because I think it's so great to have both of you here on. But uh, Paul's going to also be a part of it when he can. Brian V. Klein's going to be a part of it when we can. We've got so many people want to talk about the show because it's so good. Yes. Uh, yes so indeed. let's just... Start there. What did you guys think of this episode? Well, Paul, from what I hear, you've got you're pretty positive on this one, so I'll, I'll let you take the floor. What do you What do you got, man? Sure. Um, I love this episode. It feels, first of all, this series to me so far feels like it's picking up right where the Clone Wars season seven did. I mean, literally with like mm-hmm. that title card, you know, um, the Bad Batch, like coming over Clone Wars in the first episode. Um, right. And of course, you know, a second time that an animated show has done Order 66 better than Revenge of the Sith. But, <laughs> I mean, that was a pretty low bar, but yes. <laughs> true, true. <laughs> Don't get me started on Order 66. But I, I, I thought they did it um, really well in this and just in, in terms of tone and, you know, look, I also feel like this show really picks up from there. I had rewatched the four episodes from season seven that were like the Bad Batch episodes. And this gives the characters, I think, more depth and personality. But there was something in that seventh season of Clone Wars that there's this, like, I feel like there's this, like, overriding sadness 
where there's this, you know, this great tragedy in the galaxy, basically. Definitely. The, the world's mm. headed in this really dark place. Uh, right. But at the same time, you have these hopeful characters. And in this episode, I felt like we really got to see something that was super important. And I feel like we haven't seen much of in the Star Wars universe, which is like what happens to regular people when the Republic becomes the Empire, right? Yeah. When the Jedi get wiped out, when clone, you know, when we're going from clone troopers to eventually to conscripts, right? And I felt like this episode very deliberately was kind of trying to show, okay, here's a family and here's what's going on with them now because of these changes in the galaxy. Whereas usually it's a bunch of, you know, starship battles or lightsaber battles or blaster battles, but you know, and all that's cool and that's very Star Wars-y, right? But actually getting sure. to kind of see how all of that reverberates with just ordinary people, um, yeah. I thought was was really important and, and I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it's definitely that the same thing that we, we often talked about with The Mandalorian being so important is that kind mm-hmm. of, both because you're seeing the regular people, but also, as you said, this is an incredible transition moment, you know, and... I think one of the things we've talked about complaining about in the past is that, you know, Palpatine goes on like, you know, internet TV or whatever it is in that universe and says, the Jedi betrayed me. Now I'm scarred and deformed. Now everything is going to change. And the Senate may all cheer for it. But h- how does that actually happen? What what goes on? And so seeing all this stuff with the chain codes and people slowly accepting new authority um, was great. Jay Scotty, I want to hear your, your thoughts as well. But I realize um, – you know, this show is going to be for everybody from the hardest of hardcore fans who've seen these episodes five times already, who've seen all the other older episodes, but as well as also those folks who maybe saw it or maybe even haven't seen the episodes and just want to kind of follow along and get a sense of what's going on and hear our analysis and thoughts. So um, putting you both on the spot, does either either of you want to give like kind of a quick two minute summary of what happens this episode? Oh, sure. Yeah, I don't I don't mind uh, diving into that. So. Um, and, and forgive me if I skim over any of the details. I'm, uh, I tried to squeeze in two watches, so um, I should be pretty good here. But uh, <laughs> let me know if, if I flub anywhere. I can uh, certainly adjust. So as I recall, we open with uh, they discover Omega has exhausted herself uh, for the first time that they're aware because she has explored every inch of their ship. And they subsequently land on, uh, is it Seleucami or Seleucami? The swamp planet that we saw in Revenge of the Sith? I'm so bad at pronouncing. I believe it's Seleucami. Seleucami, okay. I've I know we saw it in the... I've only heard in Spanish, Cantonese, and French, so I don't... <laughs> okay, <laughs> I can't okay. vouch for the... But I know we saw it in the planet. montage during uh, Order 66 on, in Revenge of the Sith, anyway. Mm, right. uh, from there, we are introduced to one of their contacts that's going to help them, you know, kind of fade out of, exist- fade out of, out of the spotlight of the New Galactic Empire, given, you know the pretty high publicity stunt they just pulled off by rescuing Omega from Camino. And that person is someone that I'm not familiar with at all. Um, I have to provide that precursor that I'm going into the series without having watched any of the clone wars, except for those four episodes of the bad batch. Um, So I I don't know if uh, this clone cut and his partner, Sue, I, I don't know if they've showed up before, but I certainly appreciate that the universe is expanding and, and introducing more characters. And we get to spend time on these planets that we just, you know, got as snapshots, snapshots before. 
Um, other than that, you know, Omega gets to spend time with children for the first time in her life, having been a clone on Kamino. Um, she definitely has some learning experiences there, as well as Hunter in terms of, you know, acting as a father figure to, to her. Um, you mentioned how we get to see what, what's taking place with the common folk there. And we find out that in the city on Seleucami, Sul- mm-hmm. uh, the Galactic Empire is basically making everyone trade in whatever form of currency currency they have for imperial credits. And to do that, they have to basically register with an ID. Uh, it's called chain codes in, in the Star Wars universe. Yep. Yeah. So that also prevents them from having a way off the planet because basically all vehicles are stranded unless they have these these necessary chain codes. From there, uh, you know, I alluded to the fact that uh, Omega... And I realize I'm going over two minutes here, so I apologize. I'm getting kind of in the yeah, minutiae. Okay. There's a lot that happened. Yeah, yeah. Um, Omega basically is a stowaway on their ship, and Tech has the great idea to let the vessel just be abducted so that they can, you know, infiltrate the, I want to call it the Imperial Outpost to get the necessary chain codes that they they need there. Uh, through this, this, this course, uh, uh, excuse me, I'm fumbling here a bit, through this rescue... Uh, Omega delivers the necessary chain codes. Rex tries to, I don't want to say pawn her off to this family, but he sees it as the the best upbringing for her. But she ends up being the necessary uh, piece there at the end to even pull off the, the escape from the planet. And she finds her place with the Bad Batch and, and really gets solidified as a member of this um, found family. Yeah. I think you hit most of the key points. I think the the only kind of things I would really mention, first of all, you're right. We do have a lot of cut story from the Clone Wars, and I, we'll go into that because it's okay. definitely very significant. I'll be interested significant. to hear that. Yeah. Um, but I, I wonder, like, I know you were not as wild about this episode. I'm wondering if part of that's because you didn't have that backstory. Um, but cut, there's a couple other key things is that Cut is – he is a former clone who deserted. Okay. Um, there's a kind of weird. He kind of got left behind, but he then just chose not to reenlist. He didn't run away from the battle or anything. That's that's right. But he they has do some of his own deserter, kids. Yeah. yeah, he has some of his own kids, uh, with the the woman he married, and he's basically kind of teaching Hunter. He's treating Hunter like now you're with Omega. You're gonna you're basically gonna be a father. Right. Um, and at first Hunter's really kind of concerned about that. He tries to arrange it so that Omega is gonna go off with this other family. But she, when she realizes it, she's like, no, no, I want to go with you. And and he kind of finally agrees to do that. So it's kind of a nice little, like, uh, plot arc they have together. Sure, yeah. Um, so, yeah, so with that, um, what, Jay Scotty, what, what are your thoughts on the episode? I, I will say overall I enjoyed it and found it to be a, another solid entry. Um, I will say I picked up on a, a few of the criticisms that were levied on previous episodes that I didn't notice as much. And that's mainly in in some of the character movements. Excuse me, the character movements. They felt a little more stilted this time around. And uh, while I appreciated the some of the whimsical overtones, um, some some of the jokes just felt a little too catered to the younger audience. And that's okay. Uh, you know, anytime you have child characters, there's going to be opportunities for that. Uh, sometimes I just find it to be a little more effective than other times. And some of these just landed a little flat for me. Mm-hmm. That's fair. That's totally fair. Did you? I, it's not interesting. I didn't pick up any of that, but okay. I definitely am sensitive to that with other things. And I, okay. I think I said I was kind of concerned about Omega showing up for exactly that reason. So 
I'll be mm. curious to see where that goes. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm curious. Um, how are you guys feeling about like the the voice performances, especially from like the kids? I know we in the prior, or excuse me, the the first episode's coverage, we kind of talked about the discrepancy between the way Omega like pronounces her name versus all the other characters. Right. Um. Well, I think I'm gonna first. I'm gonna take the shot at answering that because I don't think Paul has watched this episode in English yet. That's correct. Oh, um, <laughs> um, I I don't mind it at all. I think again, I think D. Bradley Baker basically should like walk into an Emmy award already for what he's doing in terms of voice acting. Oh, of course. Of all the clones, uh, and you know now Cut was yet another main character we had mm-hmm. who had another distinct voice. Agreed. Um, and I think Omega. Um, you know, we started to learn more about how Omega came to be. And I think there was a, a very – we were talking before about like, is she another clone? How would that happen? And a couple of people posted the Stranded Panda group kind of confirming what I had been theorizing that, you know, you certainly can like take a clone and then do something to it while it's still, you know, embryonic or whatever to to have it uh, be female and not male or at least, you know, biology, whatever the gender the person's going to be. Sure. Um, and – so to me, her accent, especially given that she is just on that – she was just raised on Camino and probably someone isolated from some of the other clones and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it it makes sense to me. And the other – I thought the voices of everybody else sounded fine. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. Nothing that I noticed one way or the other. Okay. Just uh, asking. Was there anything odd in about French, uh, Mandarin, or huh. Spanish? Cantonese. Um, they, they don't have Mandarin. <laughs> but uh, but there – no. I mean it, it's – they so I I actually I looked into the voice acting a little bit. Um, first of all, in the English uh, version, the character of Omega is voiced by Michelle Ang or Ang. I'm not sure. I think Ang, um, and who is also from New Zealand. Sure. Um, mm. So I don't know whether there's kind of a difference in terms of you know the accents there if they're like different areas of New Zealand or if there's something deliberate. Uh, the character does in, you know, in the languages I've listened to it in, um, sound, you know, different from the other clones, but all the other clones do sound different from one another and mostly Mm -hmm. are all played by, uh, by the same, by one voice actor for like all the bad batch. Some of the, some of the, that's awesome. Yes. Some of the languages have like one of the, like crosshair is, is a different actor or something. Uh, but mostly they they save money and uh, lean on someone <laughs> doing an impressive job of, of arguing with themselves or talking to themselves. <laughs> um, yeah. And I mean, I've been, I, I think that really makes sense for, okay. No, go ahead. I was just going to say, I, I think that really makes sense for the character crosshairs, even though he didn't appear in this episode, he definitely has one of the most distinct voices amongst the, the bad batch. Mm, okay. Yeah. Right. And, and certainly from his appearance, um, we haven't heard anything more about this, but it, he looks significantly older. Like his hair is gray. Right. Yeah, things true. like that. Yeah. And so just based on like, you know, vocal cords changing as the body gets older, like him having a somewhat different voice would make a lot of sense. For mm-hmm. sure. Um, so, yeah, uh, in, in terms of me, I think I love this episode. I, I wanted to kind of, you know, claim a little bit of credit. Last time I'd said, you know, that I thought what we were talking about who who they might be going to visit. I think I said this on air. I know I definitely said it when we were all sitting around uh, having watched the show that I thought maybe they were going to go to one of the deserters, one of the former clones. And so I was right. really happy to see that that had been correct. Um, former clone troopers. There's still a clone. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. One of the <laughs> form, former clone troopers. And, and let me give you just a little bit more of that, that backstory because I think it's actually a really important part of, of why I think I like this episode so much. Yeah, me too. 
In the episode where he gets introduced in the Clone Wars, again, he's not someone who ran away from the battle. It's that he was kind of left behind. I think people thought he was dead, but he mm-hmm. got like pulled into healing. Hmm. And and then what happened was that Rex, who's a, a commander from the Clone Wars, who I think we're going to see on this show, he got mentioned in this episode, a major mm-hmm. character in the Clone Wars yeah. um, and in some other later properties uh, of Star Wars. Retroactively, um, right? Uh, we'll see. Okay. Um, <laughs> I don't want to do anything spoilery gotcha, uh, gotcha, gotcha. Uh, okay. about that. But um, – you know, so in this episode, Rex figures out who he is and at first is like, you know, come on, soldier, you have to come back to the war. And by the end of it, Rex is kind of understanding why he doesn't want to go back to the war. And you get the sense that he's making Rex question some things that Rex didn't want to question because it's one of the first times that this whole idea of what is a clone trooper if he's not a soldier anymore you know, who is that person? What right. would, you know, and he, I think he asks Rex at one point, like, what will you do when the war ends? And given that the Bad Batch are kind of confronting a lot of those questions, I just thought his appearance was so perfect. Yeah, th- that was one of my favorite parts of the Clone Wars was was specifically this character's story. Um, and, you know, the, the idea of being a deserter, right? It's like, these aren't deserters. These are people who escaped slavery. Mm-hmm. You know, right. I mean, they were they were literally born into a task which they were raised to do from the moment of birth, and then they're expected to spend their entire lives fighting for some empire or republic originally. But you know, and leaving seems like a very valid choice, like yeah, <laughs> because there was no there was never a choice to join and and fight. Right, that was never right. a thing. So. Um, so yeah, Cut, I always found a very interesting character and gave some sort of context and some, some deeper thoughts to like what's going on in the Clone Wars and the, the Bad Batch is, you know, given that they just left, you know, the, the galactic army, I guess, uh, Mm -hmm. it, it makes total sense to me that, that they would interact here. And I hadn't, I hadn't really expected this. Uh, I hadn't given too much thought to, like, where they were headed, but when they got off the place and, like, I saw those plants, I was like, I know those plants. And and I I just, I feel like that's one thing that um, I really like about the animation. I I have some of the same reservations in terms of movement. I feel the faces are a little stiff. Um, Mm Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's all computer generated, right? So it doesn't have yeah. that like really personal hand drawn animation touch. I mean, I guess most things these days are computer animated, but it's it's got a little bit of a blocky feel. But I feel like um, all of the animated series, and especially this now, really do a great job of of giving us locations and making them feel different. And just being on this planet, I was like, oh, I, I know this place. Um, right. And and then seeing, you know, Omega's joy at like meeting dirt for the first time, you know, like, oh, God, oh that what's was this. It, it <laughs> was so great because that scene, uh, basically, she like she walks off the space, the spaceship, puts her hand in the dirt and it's just so clearly like she literally asks, what is this? Yeah. Right. Um, and I thought it was such a wonderful way without lampshading it, but of just reminding us she has lived her entire life on Camino, which is this like basically kind of like a like biodome kind of a planet where you never actually go out in nature as far as i can tell right it seems like it's always storming outside and and yeah it's a ocean (laughs) planet that's constantly raining from what i can tell okay um 
it, no, it's it's really interesting to get that context for the character of Cut. And I would mm-hmm. I'd be curious to learn more about Sue. Was she in the picture in, in Clone Wars? Was it obvious that she was going to be a, a romantic interest for him for him? So he only really appeared for one episode. They may have okay. gone back to him a couple of times, but it was mostly his one episode. And when they meet him, um one of the problems with the TV show The Clone Wars is it's not it was not aired in chronological order. But the implication is that um we meet him uh significant some fairly late in the Clone Wars when he hit the battle where he got lost was very early. And so Basically, Rex meets this guy who has a wife. She's a Twi'lek, and they have two very small kids. And then Rex realizes why he recognizes this guy. It's because he is also a clone. So, yeah, at the time we met Cut, he already had the wife. Yeah, he had a family. Another question I would I would I would pose: Did you guys get the impression that the the children were actually cuts and not adopted in any, in any way, shape, or form? It, I felt like they tried to visually depict the fact that it could have been you know, interspecies offspring there. I, I think he's their adopted, uh, their, oh, is their he? Okay. stepfather. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay. I, Interesting. I think we learned that in, I definitely wasn't clear on that during this episode, but right. Um, looking it up, it, it, it did. It looks like, um, in the original episode, it was established that he's like their, their stepdad basically. Right. Okay. Well then I... that might even highlight the point I wanted to make. Uh, even more so, you know, ha- not having had exposure to the Clone Wars series like that. For me, this is the most, you know, compassion I've ever seen out of any clone. You know, we've got the small snatches from Hunter, both with Omega already and with, uh, was it uh, Caleb? Is Was was uh, Kanan's yeah. original name? Caleb yeah. Dune? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, but th- this is the first time you see this level of intimacy and, and understanding and ability to, you know, take emotional turmoil and, and turn that into comfort. And I, I really appreciate that aspect of seeing the evolution of, of, of what a clone c- could become, you know? Definitely. And I think that's somewhat the point is that, you know, as Paul said, they were slaves. They were meant to only ever be soldiers. And part of what that meant was they were meant to only really have relationships with fellow clones and with their Jedi generals. Right. And the idea that they could like meet and even fall in love with people sort of outside the clones um, is, is completely unheard of. Sure. Uh, and so that's why it was so surprising to everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it is also a topic I'll say that's explored somewhat in the books, Republic commandos, which are legends. They're not officially canon, but a lot of these stories do seem somewhat drawn from. Um, the other thing I will say is, and I, I don't think they're going to go into this necessarily because this is more of kind of an adult topic, but mm-hmm. um, one topic of discussion is, I mean, can the clones reproduce? Are clones, you know, sterile mm-hmm. is, a, is a topic that I don't think has ever been discussed. And I don't know if it will, but I think it to me it has very significant consequences in terms of what kind of life can or, can clo- can or cannot clones have outside of, you know, being soldiers. Oh, certainly. Yeah, I hadn't really contemplated that at all but that's that's definitely a whole conversation for itself right um anything else you want to say about like the cut aspect of it all should we move on to omega i would say like they definitely put cut and his family's life lives in danger by showing up (laughs) 
You know, and like, so did Rex. Like, I get it. It's like, you don't have a lot of friends in the galaxy, but this person's clearly trying to hide, you know, and yeah. you've, you've got the fuzz on your tail. Like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, I don't know, maybe not the most responsible decision, but they did help him out. So, all right, I guess, I guess yeah. we're good. <laughs> I feel like that's such a trope, though, of like, you know, your heroes show up at the person who's in hiding. And then like the person's like, oh, God, please don't be here. You're going to get me in trouble. And the hero's like, no, it's fine. Oh, whoops. Okay, the whole cops followed me and your kid just got shot. Oops, I'm sorry. Right. Uh Yeah, for sure. I'm glad that nothing ended up, nothing bad ended up happening to them, at least in the scope of this episode. Definitely. Definitely. So I like that we get to learn a lot more about Omega. Um, You know, just those scenes of like her her not really having any kind of real childhood I thought were powerful. And again, it was very subtly done, which I really like. But there were a couple moments where... Like, the kids ask Omega if she can come out and play ball with them, and she just immediately looks over to Hunter yeah. for approval. Right. You know, and I just – I got a sense of, like, they're already establishing a kind of – they're all kind of, like, you know, family, but Hunter's really the dad for her. Right. And the two of them have the strong connection. Yeah, we we saw it kind of broadcasted in those, those first three episodes where you had the nice little series of her – constantly you know imitating whatever he was doing at any given time Mm -hmm. um she has definitely become quickly endeared to him it it reminded me of uh the the grogo uh, the grogo (laughs) it reminded me of the grogu and mando moment at the end of Mm -hmm. season two Mm -hmm. mandalorian you know this sort of like asking permission and you know in this case it was just it's just a nod you know hunter often i think communicates just with a nod like to wreck her to get the boot off the spaceship basically like go and then you know they know right um yeah no i'm i'm absolutely glad you you bring that up because the mandalorian comparison was made earlier on when we were just talking about you know getting to see more smaller intimate interactions with the regular you know townsfolk of star wars for lack of a better term mm-hmm. i definitely felt those those um overtones as well and that's definitely one thing i appreciate about the series not only is it exploring a a time timeline in, or a time zone in the, the Star Wars that we haven't gotten a lot of, you know, clarity on. Uh, you just feel that synergy throughout. You know, the yeah. Mandalorian has been, for all intents and purposes, accepted by the masses, and it seems like they're really, you know, leaning into that. And I, I definitely feel that in the Bad Batch. So it's another thing that makes the series already off to a phenomenal start, as as far as I'm concerned. For sure. And, and I feel the whole franchise is trying to move a little bit away from the bad dad's trope towards the good dad's trope. Yeah. <laughs> you I know? Yeah. yeah. We, good call. We cut too. Good I, call. I mean, I will say, like, Hunter's clearly going to be, I think, be the father figure here. But I, I don't have kids of my own, but I'm certainly an uncle often. Like, you know, my, my sister doesn't have any kids, mm-hmm. but she might. And I have a lot of friends who have kids and I like to go over and play with when I visit and stuff like that. And Wrecker is absolutely Uncle Goals. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. he's just so good with kids. <laughs> yeah. And Solid I think we, we, actually, we actually had talked about how we were worried that Wrecker was going to be a little one note. And we actually got some great comments in the Stranded Panda chat group about Ooh, how, yes. no, Wrecker's so much. And I thought this was such a beautiful way to show that. Like, mm-hmm. just that little moment of Wrecker with the kids was like, no, yeah, okay, this is who he is. He's he's just, he's a big kid himself, but that's, that's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I had posed the question, you know, what, given what we learn about the inhibitor chip. And given Wrecker's love for destruction, kind of echoed a little bit Crosshair's love for for doing what he does best. I wondered if there was potential for him to you know be, become subject to the inhibitor chip. And while I I still think there's a slight possibility for that in terms of you know 
a really nice dramatic turn. This episode really dissuaded me um, from those thoughts in addition to the, to the feedback we got. Um, mm-hmm. So I really valued that. Definitely. It, it did leave me wondering. Um, I mean, cut would still have the chip. Right. And mm. I don't know if the implication is now we did learn that in by the end of season seven of the Clone Wars, um, Rex seems to understand how to get rid of the chip. Mm. So okay. I don't know if oh. Cut was just h- hanging around with his family going like, you know, guys, I have a weird urge to kill Jedi. There's no <laughs> Jedi around, which is good, but I kind of want to kill one. Um or and, and Rex kind of helped him with that, right. or if he just never had the urge because he's been away so long. I mean, that, actually, they did say, there, oh, you know what? Maybe there was that moment in the Bad Batch episodes of Clone Wars where kind of all the soldiers got their chips like strengthened, and so oh, maybe okay. because Cut didn't have that, it didn't kick in. Right. Um, hmm. I'm guessing it's it's a small little plot thread that I'm guessing they won't follow up, but it's just an interesting thing to think about for sure. Oh, certainly, yeah. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about the Empire, because I think that was, Paul, you brought up the beginning. I think in some ways that was the most powerful part of all this for me. Um, to me, it really just spoke to, like, you know, I've, I've done a lot of study of, like, how authoritarian governments come, you know, come into power, how, like, you know, Hitler or Mussolini or Stalin or things like that, like, you know, and, and surveillance is, and, and perhaps modern day governments, <laughs> surveillance and like starting to like number and register people is almost always some of the first steps. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things that made the sort of authoritarian states of the early 20th century possible was that technologically it became possible to actually like keep track of all of your citizens. And it's so subtle, but just the stuff about the, 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 co- the chain codes and everyone having to register and the fact that you're seeing more and more surveillance everywhere, I, I just thought it was just so brilliantly done. Of like, this is how the Empire really like gets its hooks into everybody. For sure. I, I would just strike the bit about it being subtle. It didn't feel very subtle to me, uh, but it, yeah, it felt, right. you know, very everything else you said, totally. Yeah. Right. I, I, I would... mean, subtle in that the people aren't thinking like, oh, oh gosh, okay. an empire is taking over. Like to them, it'd be like, right. okay, there's a chain code. It's not a big deal. Right. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I got it. I would say outside of like Order 66, this has been one of the best showcases as far as really seeing that transition from clone trooper to stormtrooper. Like I think back on that scene where you had the alien that was trying to get off planet and doesn't anticipate the resistance that he's going to get and gets shoved to the ground. Like that, that's just, you know, that's something out of A New Hope or Road right. One. Yeah. Right. And we hadn't seen the clone troopers behaving that way. Before, right. really, because we hadn't seen them acting in that capacity. Right. 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 Like, the war's yeah. over, but they're still troopers. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And they no longer have the Jedi with them. True. You know, True. It, it kind yeah. of makes you wonder, like, to what extent the Jedi were kind of a mitigating force. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's totally fair. The other, thing that I, and I, the other thing that I kind of got out of all this was, and again, it's, it's I mean, this is, very true in our own world in many instances, some very modern, some more in the past. This kind of speaks to what you were talking about, Paul. I get the sense that this whole galaxy is very world-weary and especially very war-weary. You know, Mm -hmm. there's just a kind of general sense of like apathy and fatigue. And, you know, like I think some of the propaganda they say is that the empire is going to like restore security and like make things, you know, end the chaos. That's how like, you know, fascist leaders come to power is by promising like oh all this anarchy and all this you know 
long-haired kids in the streets or Black Lives Matter or whatever it is. Like, we'll take care of it. That people turn to that kind of stuff because fear is powerful and people are idiots. Um, but like, mm-hmm. it, it felt very believable to me that people would be like, "Yeah, okay, I'll I'll have a chain code and make sure you know where I am on the planet if it means that like no longer droids and clones are blowing each other up in my backyard." Right. But mm-hmm. also, just it's like, what are they going to do? You know, right? Like any individual isn't going to be like, "Oh, I'm going to start a rebellion." Like, right? It's not going to. And, go and well. I think that would always be true, but also like after three years of, yeah. of this global galactic war, yeah. they're even less inclined towards that. Is the Clone Wars Wars really only three years? I'm not. I'm not. Yes. I'm. I'm arguing with Star Wars, not you. Like, <laughs> I find it so upsetting that it's it's that short. It doesn't make any sense. But <clears throat> okay. But I loved this episode. Yeah. Yeah, Things it's... happened fast in a long time in a galaxy a long time ago and a far, far, far away. <laughs> you know, relativity. It was three years on one planet. It was twenty years on another planet. Um, life which, can pass. You, I, life can pass you by pretty fast if you don't stop to smell the fungus growing on Salukami. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, you might miss it. There's people <laughs> in the Star Wars world. I'm down for it. Hey, I, I, I will also say in that same regard, though. Um, they, I think it was the last episode, maybe it was this episode, but they did make reference to, yeah, it was actually in the last episode, but how um, that that they'd been gone for like this many cycles by this planet's calculations, but this many cycles by like galactic calculations. Right. Kind of naming that like days pass in different speeds on different planets. Which right, I, right, I just right. like they acknowledge that a little bit. Yeah, me mm-hmm. too. Me too. Um, was... Last thing I wanted to check in on, and, and I'm wondering what your thoughts are on this. Is it at all surprising to you that our heroes, the the Bad Batch, are so comfortable shooting their former like comrades and brothers, the other clones? That's an absolutely uh, great question, and I feel a little ashamed of myself that I really hadn't contemplated until now. <laughs> um, like in one of the first fights in the first episode, uh, the, the the first movie, mm-hmm. we did see them using like the. Um, the stun setting where it goes out in circles and stuff like that. Right, right. And since then, they've been using blue lasers, which aren't like the red or green that normally clones and, and droids would use back and forth. Um, but it does look like lasers. It doesn't look like stun mm-hmm. sunbeams. They certainly haven't said any like, you know, we can't kill our brothers, put it on stun or something like the, that. They actually showed like one of the like chest guards or whatever kind of exploded from from a shot in this episode. Okay. So yeah, that's that's not a stun shot. No, it sounds it's like. not. So I, I I did think about this, but it might have been on my third viewing. So, you know, okay. J. Scott, if you only watched it twice, I think it's fair not to have. <laughs> okay. a, yeah. Okay. So. Make uh, me feel better. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, like, spoilers for season seven of The Clone Wars, but it's it ends up being a really big deal about shooting or not shooting these clones who are, at that point, just totally mind-controlled, right? Um, mm-hmm. here now it seems like maybe it's kind of unclear to what extent they're just like, okay, now we're just doing what we were sort of, um, socially programmed to do compared to like literally programmed with a microchip. But right. it, it makes a, a lot of sense to me actually that the bad batch are like, yeah, we're just going to shoot them. Um, Rex had an affinity for the regs, right? Rex was a... What, he was a commander, and then he was a captain, I guess? Mm-hmm. And, or vice versa. 
so Rex had this real connection with, you know, the other clones who he viewed as, as brothers and, you know, literally are. The Bad Batch have this conflict and I think they feel outside of, you know, the sort of regular group of clones. You know, they call mm-hmm. them regs. They, they, right. I think they don't identify with them as like being brothers in the same way. And okay, so right. it did make sense to me that they are just like, yeah, we're just going to shoot them because like, what are we going to do? As opposed to going to great lengths the way Rex did to try to not kill a bunch of them. Right. Um, but mm-hmm. I, I definitely noticed that and, and thought about it. I was like, Hmm, you know, they could use stun, but they're not. And it, you know, it's like, yeah, this, they're now they're in a war against these guys, basically, you know, who are trying to shoot them, trying to shoot to yeah. kill. So yeah. I I would have to imagine that their their interactions not only with with Tarkin like knowing that the controls for the most right. part are, are are acting under are Tarkin's orders and then the fact that you know Crosshair betrayed them and they they're learning mm-hmm. more outside of tech he he obviously knows what's going on with the inhibitor chips but mm-hmm. they learn a lot about the inhibitor chips in this episode so yeah. I have to imagine that you know uh you know skews their pers- perspective to some degree for sure and and in the first episode, they showed, you know, they had that whole, like, food fight thing. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> which sort of undermines my point uh, that I was going to make of this being less of a kid's show than the tentpole movies. Um, <laughs> even though I still think that's true. Uh, but they did have a food fight, literally. But that, I think, uh, showed, you know, the way the other clones, like, treat them. And so it's right. like, yeah, they're more likely to shoot them because of that, you know? Whereas, like, they treated Rex with deference and camaraderie mm-hmm. right i mean mm-hmm. i think it, it's definitely obvious that at some point they're going to come back into contact with crosshair and oh, oh yeah sure i imagine that might be where well there's two things i think one is so far they've fought the clones but very it, it's all been like the clones are shooting at us we have to shoot back so we can escape right kind of thing i mm-hmm. wonder if there's gonna be a time where they're like okay to do whatever we have to do we have to like attack these clones mm. And then there's a, like, can we do that without killing them? Or it might be, as you were kind of just saying, that as they learn more about the fact that this isn't the clones just being, you know, terrible, it's the clones being mind-controlled, they have more sympathy for them. Hmm. But I definitely think there'll be a moment where they're like, oh, where they basically have to face the con- concept of can um, can Crosshair be saved or do they have to accept that Crosshair is now the enemy and has to be like, fought? Right. And the fact that this whole these characters were all introduced to us around the idea that Echo could be saved. Mm, yeah. And Echo was a reg, but the Bad Batch really bought into that still. And I, I get the sense that, that it's kind of that, like, you know, you take three brothers who fight with each other constantly and, like, look like they hate each other and want to kill each other, but then if someone attacks one of them, all three brothers will fight back together. Right. Yeah. I, I think that's kind of what I think of it. Like, the Bad Batch and the regs are definitely, like, you know, squabbling and don't like each other, and maybe they're not, like, oh, my God, I have to save you, mm-hmm. but... But but especially is the I I think there's definitely gonna be that moment of like we have to say crosshair and there might be more loyalty towards the other clones as well and that that's gonna be a really interesting story to see play out. I agree. Hmm. So I, I think that's pretty much all the big things I have. Is there anything else you all wanted to touch on? Um, I have two points, one of Go which is tiny, okay. and is maybe justified by the fact that the Clone Wars were only three years. So people never built up the level of mistrust that they would have if they ever wanted to close a spaceship door ever. Like, <laughs> they just never closed the thing. 
and it's just I don't know. It's like it's like the the new like dangerous doors for me. Like now I can't mm-hmm. not see when they just leave <laughs> a ship with the door open every time. Um that that's not really a big deal. Um <laughs> and then the other one was I I liked that, you know, Omega had at the end, you know, the agency of of deciding, "No, I'm going to stick with you all." And that that's her yeah. decision. It's not just this like, mm-hmm. you know, just sort of circumstance right it's a choice and so i think to somewhat level she's choosing to be a soldier at some point not like a soldier for an army but like i mean she's probably going to become some kind of warrior type person um right and since clones age faster i'm kind of curious whether they're going to age her up over the course of the series and i would have to imagine to some extent they will but probably not too quickly I mean, we've seen it in it. other other animated shows, right? Uh, with Ahsoka, um, and then also with another character in a in a show that you haven't covered yet, and I, I'll say spoilers yeah. <laughs> for that. But um, you know, if it's going to be multiple seasons, I would have to think that she'll go from being this like ten year old seeming person somewhere in there, maybe, mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. being more of a teenager and then eventually an adult. I would think. I mean, one thing that I I thought was very interesting is. They established in the dialogue this episode that, like, clone accidents aren't completely accidental. Like, there's always some intentionality. Yeah, right. And so I think there's definitely, like, there was a particular reason that people made Omega. Mm -hmm. And especially if, as it seems to be, that she kind of is able to, like, pick up the skills of anyone she's watching. Like, maybe she is kind of a super clone. And to me, that says one of two things. One is she could be, like, a fairly recent-made clone who is aging up like all of them. But also mm. remember, we've established in the universe that Boba Fett was made without the advanced aging. Oh, right. Right, right. And so it's possible that she actually is, like, quite old as well. I mean, True. by clone years, that, that she's, like... That she's you know, 10 and I, not 2 or 3 or something. Right, exactly. And that would still mean she's, like... Because I think Boba Fett at this point is, like, 13, 14. Right. But still that she's, like, you know... she. There's a couple different ways in which she's not like other clones. But, yeah, there's, there's so much to, to figure out there. Yeah. yeah one funny. one little rebuttal I'll give just based on on those thoughts right there is you know that that Kim 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 yeah it's hard to say Kiminoan yeah headpiece Kiminoan, that she yeah. was yeah the headpiece that she was wearing that scene where she removed that she was obviously already kind of in a um, compromised emotional state given her interactions with Hunter but uh, it seemed like she almost had a a forlorn kind of longing sense and do you. We didn't really see it broadcast too much in in the episodes that she was on Camino, but do you think she had more of a you know motherly relationship with uh was it Lama Sue? I want to say Lama Sue, yeah. I I definitely thought so. I okay. I got the sense, and I thought that was somewhat both ways. Like Lama Sue, I think definitely treated her more like a project, and like, but there definitely seemed to be some like actual concern that Omega mm-hmm. was gone. Right. Um. In part, just because the Kaminoans are clearly not sure, what, you know, they don't want to get killed by. I I think they have to know that they are the definition of a loose end. Right. right now, oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, to yeah. Palpatine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Palpatine. Yeah. But I, I yeah I do think that they I don't think she was like oh my god get me away from Kaminoa these people are slavers and are treating me horribly. Um. I think she felt very out of place and she wanted to be like with people she knew. Mm-hmm. But I definitely think that there's some some real connection there and and that Lama Su felt it as well. Okay. What, what was your sense, Paul? I have the sense that there's something going on with 
their relationship and how she feels about Kaminoa, but also how she feels about the, you know, the, the head bobble itself. Um, right. And that we don't know what it is. It's clearly just like kind of a signpost, like, you know, by the way, there's some emotional stuff going on here and we'll probably tell you about it later. That makes sense. Um, yeah, so I think that's going to be a really fun plot to develop. Fun to see how the Empire is coming about. One just little world-building thing that it was totally inconsequential, but I love getting to see tow trucks in this universe, you know? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, we we got to see in The Mandalorian the, the AT-AT walker that's now been turned into a huge crane. And, and this, to me, kind of felt similar. It was like, just here's a random bit of tech that isn't for battles, though you can use it maybe, but like, just, you know, an impounded ship. Here's how you pick it up. It's this flying thing that has a little mini tractor beam. Right. For sure. Yeah, yeah it, it's nice to see the, the world expanded upon in, the, in that sense. I know you haven't completed the um, Fallen Order video game, but you get to see see some of those that kind of construction equipment in that game early on. So definitely, definitely nice to tie the universe together like that. And I'll, I'll take this opportunity just to provide my last couple thoughts. They're pretty inconsequential in the great scheme of things, but just a couple of things I appreciated the Imperial officer that was present in the marketplace via hologram that was, uh, you know, delivering the news about the Imperial credits being converted, or excuse me, the, um, currency being converted to Imperial credits. Uh, even though it was a, you know, a, a model that is uh, stylized and whatnot, I have to wonder, did they, you know, base that off of the, uh, I don't know how familiar you guys are with uh, the Power Rangers series, the original Power Rangers, but I thought it looked like a spinning image of uh, Jason David Frake, who portrays the, the Green Ranger, Tommy. I, I I have never morphed in a way of might or otherwise, so okay. I couldn't tell okay. you, but I could be. Okay. I am also absent all um, useful thoughts on this subject (laughs) i had a feeling i had a feeling it might go that way um the other thought or the other you know little note here is you mentioned republic commando earlier on and just uh you know given the fact that this took place on the planet that it did we got that one scene where uh omega was in 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 harm's way and she was endangered by the nexu who we haven't seen um correct me if i'm wrong as far as you know the film stuff goes we haven't seen since attack of the clones but me being a a fan of the video games there was a video game that came out in the 2000s which is legends just like republic commando but it was star wars bounty hunter in which you got to play as jango fett before the events of uh attack of the clones and there actually were were nexu on seleucami that you got to you know they were very deadly but you got to interact with them so nice to tie the universe together like that as well for me, that is the perfect way of integrating stuff like that into the content because it's a perfect Easter egg for the people who played that game. But for folks like myself who haven't played the game, I don't feel like I'm missing anything of the plot, you know? Right, right. And, yeah. and to me, that stands in contrast with um, – and fans definitely read us in. I'd be curious to hear from people on both sides of this. I do wonder if they needed a little bit more exposition of who Cut was to help mm. the people who hadn't seen that episode of The Clone Wars – understand the significance of that scene um but because i think stuff like that of like oh yeah it's just this little toss away thing that doesn't matter to the plot but is interesting if you know it like what kind of creature that is that that to me is awesome that's perfect deep dive and continuity with some of this other stuff yeah 100 percent agreed 
Yeah, um, it definitely sounds like it could have used a little bit more introduction of Cut and Sue and like what was actually going on there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so with that, I want to close. We're going a little long this episode, but we got one great piece of feedback that I want to read. And he asks a couple of questions, so I'll kind of break it up into those. Uh, from Aaron Denning, he starts by saying, hey, Star Star Universe and Animation Liberation Podcast. So uh, thanks, thanks for acknowledging both of us. He actually says, hey, Star Universe and Animation Liberation Pandas. So <laughs> appreciate that. <laughs> the Bad Batch premiere was awesome. I wanted to write in and talk to you about all my thoughts. And first he says, do you think Crosshair is going to be a villain or go through a redemption arc? I recall one of you saying in the Bad Batch premiere episode that they didn't like his voice. I've always felt it was almost a Bond villain voice. Maybe they're setting it up in the introduction. Uh, I, I think he's going to get a redemption. I think the team is going to get reunited in some way. But what's your all thoughts? I think either that or they're going to kill him. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's honestly, I'm, I'm leaning a little bit more that way. Uh, okay. Even though I, even though this episode was a little more whimsical overall in tone, I think those first few episodes, and just the title graphic, watching that Clone Wars logo burn away, I, I think we're just in store for a more, uh, it's just a darker and, and, and probably more heartbreaking story, just given the time period that it mm-hmm. takes place in. We've already seen this is very much the galactic empire taking over and everything that comes with that. So mm-hmm. those are my expectations, but I, I'd, I'd love to be pleasantly surprised. That's fair. I think it would be uh, interesting to see them actually remove the chip from crosshair and then mm. crosshair to be like, you still should have killed that kid. Oh like, yeah. <laughs> you know? I like that. Yeah. That's pretty good. I like that. Yeah. Because I do think that's a, like, I never like mind control. In some ways, mind control can be really awesome, but there's always a sort of frustration of it removes agency. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and most interesting conflict is when two people have agency but are choosing to do different things. Mm-hmm. Right. So it would be nice to see that, like, even without the chip, Crosshair still has some different thoughts. Mm-hmm. Um, so the other next question was uh, uh, two questions about Omega. I'll combine them into one. Uh, Aaron writes, who is Omega a clone of? Is she the X-23 to Jango's Wolverine or another person's clone? I've always been under the impression that a true clone must be the same genetic gender because it's taking the exact same cells and regrowing them into a genetic copy of the donor. And yeah, I think uh, same same biological sex. Um, however, with some quick Googling, it seems like someone could strip out the Y chromosome and replace it with a copy of the X. This is kind of what I was going at, that like you can make clones gender switched. Mm-hmm. I have no idea if that's possible with Star Wars technology, but you can explain it away with some techno babble. Is it possible that Omega is maybe a genetic child to Jengo using his DNA to simulate a sperm donor, but a donated egg from a, a mother? And then they also ask, Omega's abilities sort of remind me of Taskmaster. She was able to copy the movements and ability of the rest of the Bad Batch. Okay. Um, I will just say, you know, not being as, as versed in the knowledge of uh, all the the cloning technology and capabilities there, I would just say the evidence of the Bad Batch themselves, you know, if you can make clones that look this physically different and have this, this range of abilities, I don't think it's, especially given the fact that you have the pseudoscience of being in a, a galaxy a long time ago, a, a long time ago and, and far, far away, it's, they could probably do whatever they need to, to create a, right. a female version of, of Jango Fett. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of think all the possibilities are on the table, right? I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. It, could be a you know could be a direct clone with just some you know changing of y to x or could be i mean we don't even know if they have you know the same 
DNA that humans do on Earth, right? I mean, I don't think mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, they're so. I feel like they could kind of go any way with it. They they could have or be a clone of someone completely different, or Jenga could Jengo could effectively be um, like one parent genetically, and then they they could have had someone else, like mm-hmm. Padme. I don't know. Maybe she's uh, <laughs> a half sibling to to Luke and Leia. Who knows <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Oh, probably boy. not that um, right and so the last question they raised this is a little controversial here we'll get, get into it Caleb Dunes aka Kanan's origins and this is the um, the, the Jedi Padawan mm. who they didn't kill in the first episode who becomes mm-hmm. an important character uh, in Star Wars Rebels and thus has had has also appeared in some comics and things like that Caleb Dunes origins really disappointed me not because it wasn't awesome but because it broke the pre-existing continuity I always hoped that with a reset of canon after Disney bought Lucasfilms, that they'd be able to keep things tight. <laughs> in Kanan's comic book from 2015, Order 66 happened while he, his master, and their troopers were around a campfire. The Bad Batch was obviously nowhere to be seen. I know it's small, it's at least on the same planet, and Depa still told him to run, but I would have been happier if they had the campfire and nighttime be the same instead of it happening while Kayla was running to a new battle with a Bad Batch. It would have been so easy to make that happen. Where's that deep, hot continuity that Matt Carroll is always talking about? <laughs> Not in the uh, Star Wars take? universe. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I don't have the uh, familiarity with the comics in a mm. lot of instances, especially with the Star Wars universe more so. But uh, I think those are legitimate gripes. I, I don't. I if you are paying, you know, close attention to it and. Disney has put out the blanket statement that this is going to be the canon going forward, and you have eschewed, you know, other properties um, to have that continuity. I, I think that's totally legitimate, but I will say it's it's always going to be the comic books, probably first and foremost, and then the books, and then unfortunately, you know, probably the cartoons, and then the movies. That'll be the pecking order in terms of you know. Well, I probably should throw the Disney Plus series. Um, Right. In there as well. But yeah. And you mean that from like least to most in terms of what's going to trump. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I, I there's, there's an extent to which I feel like continuity is overrated. Uh, hmm. I think there's some of these universes get so big and unwieldy that like, I, I don't know. I feel like the MCU is going to have issues in five or 10 years, but oh, they already, I mean, they already have they're some. already yeah. ours. Yeah. yeah. Right. But like, I definitely am sympathetic to someone reading a comic or or book and being told this is canon. All that other stuff that you read before, that's not canon. This is canon. And then, right. then you know, the powers that be being like, eh, you know, about that canon. When we <laughs> said canon, we meant like that's kind of like sort of what maybe happened. Um, right. And yeah, uh-huh. I just feel like the Star Wars universe hasn't been very good in terms of timeline and in terms of that type of canon i think it has been very good in terms of just like broad world building so to me like i feel like there's an extent to which it's like you can kind of choose which things happened which things didn't like for me the sequel trilogy is just an alternate timeline and like that's (laughs) That's fair you know but like and then i can enjoy those new characters who i love the new characters i just don't like the stories or like the way they play off the existing stories right so right you know it's just 
I mean, you look at, like, the way certain things happened around there being Jedi or not being Jedi, Jedi at certain times, and it's like, you know, they told these huge stories through the movies, and then they're trying to tell these smaller stories, but the huge stories are so huge that I think they just... They just didn't leave themselves, like, enough space or oxygen in some spots. And sometimes it's just, there's just some hand-waving and, like, this is the story we're going to tell right now. And we're going to try and tell the best story we can. And, and I think yeah. that's really well put. I think, um, first of all, I just, I just want to go on record. Like, I, people have heard us before know this, but we very much disagree with it about some of the sequels. I, I think Last Jedi is one of the best movies ever made and is perfectly in line with canon mm-hmm. we very much disagree and that's fine but i would agree to me rise of skywalker is completely non-canon like that's that's a parody. <laughs> right exactly um, so like you could just pick you know you could yeah. be like yeah that that's not part of it for me yeah but, well, but I, I, think, I, know... I think also oh, sorry to cut you off here but i i'm sure we have that's we've already alluded to it that's what's so great about not only this series but the mandalorian it's going to attract you know all Star Wars fans from all corners of the galaxy. Mm-hmm. And so for myself, I, I will say I have my issues with with outside of, you know, the original trilogy. I have my issues with every single Star Wars film, but I get some level of enjoyment out of every mm. single one of them. So. Yeah, that's great. And, and that's awesome. And I, yeah. I am um, – there may be – yeah, I'm not even going to go to my thoughts on Rise of Skywalker yet. Okay, <laughs> fair I thought you were going to go oh. to the prequel trilogy. No, I mean, I, I, I've come to love those a lot more than I thought I did originally. Okay. Come, yeah. Mostly because of Clone Wars, but because right. sure, of, like, sure. yeah. just finding some really good things in them. Mm-hmm. Um, if you can give me the Hayden Christensen less cut, where he just doesn't appear, um, then I think I'd like them even more. You know, deep fakes are coming a long way. That might not be too far out of the uh, realm of possibility here. Can't believe we have to watch that actor in Kenobi. But anyway, my point <laughs> being, uh, it's not he might be a great actor. He just couldn't play Anakin. Um, but anyway, all that putting that aside, I blame George Lucas. Also, very true, and the writers. <laughs> that, um, he was the writer. <laughs> let me finish my point. Fine. We're on like five different levels of tangents here. The point I was going to make is that I, I do agree that I feel like for them to say, "Don't worry, this is all entirely canon," and then not make it exact isn't great, you know, and that they should be a little more careful about that. Mm-hmm. That being said, I think maybe I have a different definition of canon and continuity, which is, for me, characters have to stay the same. Um, plot points have to stay the same. World building has to stay the same. And what I mean by that is you break canon when you introduce a change that makes other things not make as much sense. For example, Paul, you brought up, you kind of alluded to it, but I was much more explicit, like in A New Hope, they specifically talk about how the Jedi are a forgotten religion. Mm-hmm. That is, yes. like, it sounds like it's an ancient yeah. forgotten thing. And then, like, much as I love Clone Wars and Rebels and the video games and stuff, every time they introduce new characters who are Jedi, who are hanging around after Order 66, yeah. it makes that statement make less sense. Mm-hmm. Right. To me, that's a continuity break. If they had shown something happen with Kanan slash Caleb where, like, we know about his character that he doesn't trust clones and that he has this incredible sense of guilt and of loss because of how his master died protecting him. Mm. If that had changed in some way, to me, that's a continuity break. And I'm saying this very carefully because I don't, I, for me, I've, I've gone on record that aesthetics don't matter very much. And it's entirely possible, I think, that some people get a level of meaning out of 
the the campfire scene versus this scene then i don't so this is just me for me whether or not that scene happens around a campfire or the way that it does here and whether or not the bad batch are there or it's a different bunch of clones none of that changes the fundamental truths about caleb's character that this scene teaches us and so for me that's why i'm kind of like this doesn't feel like a continuity break or a canon break because it's about a detail that is aesthetically interesting but i don't think is relevant in any way for the character yeah i i think that is super valid and a a very insightful take and i know we're going long here but i I would compare it to uh other comic book properties when you when you have an opportunity to uh allow the character to be portrayed by a different race or in in some cases a a different gender and it Mm -hmm. doesn't do anything to inherently change the character go go for it you know yeah yeah, I, th- I think that's a different point, but that's one I definitely, um, I, I definitely see the connection there. I think I, I do very much agree with that. Hmm. Yeah, I, I would just say I, I feel like that's very explicitly and literally a continuity break. But with mm-hmm. your, but but I, I will say that the, the difference between the idea of canon that that you that we've talked about before, right? That the way that what you think of as canon, I, I very much respect that. That's that this fits that right that it's like right. those two stories are similar enough they they carry the same weight for the character that even if the continuity is literally different like canonically it's like no the story of you know um of Caleb is how you know what happened when his you know when order 66 happened and how that informed who Kane and Jarrus was right and again, and let me just say also, I think, like, when you talk about, like, gender or race flipping a character, I do think that's a change because part of the idea of saying, what if you take those same experiences but put it through a different context? But that's not necessarily a bad uh, thing. No, that's, um, that's totally valid. I, I guess I was more speaking to the fact that you were talking about, you know, aesthetics not being mm-hmm. necessarily, you know, critical. But uh, Right. Yeah, I mean, to me, to me, I think maybe a better example is making the Tony Stark story about Afghanistan instead of Vietnam, mm-hmm. you know? Like, oh, okay. Uh, that's, that's totally valid. Yeah. But but I think, yeah, and, and, and again, here, I don't know the comics that well. And so if part of the point is that, you know, Caleb is so scared because it's at night and because, like, right. he can't see what's happening, that that's influenced, then, yeah, I would say then, yeah, then maybe that's a key part of the story that we're missing. Um, mm-hmm. But but that's the only – but I think if it is just a question of, like, how it looks and the, the aesthetic of it, then I think that it's – uh, less significant, but but I think that that's not to invalidate at all what Aaron or anyone else thinks about it. So yeah, I think oh, I'd right. be annoyed yeah, Aaron... if I read that comic and then saw this. I'd be like, but that's not what happened. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That's definitely. Uh, but for me here, for I'm it's... like, I don't care what happened in the comic. <laughs> for yeah. what it's worth, Aaron reads a lot of comics. Uh, he's he's given us some feedback on Invincible that we're cover that we just got finished oh, nice. covering on Animation Deliberation, yeah. and it's it's been really interesting to get his insights as a a fan of the series first and foremost and then uh the awesome. ad- adaptation so yeah well aaron thank you very much then for that and, and please you and anyone else you know if there's stuff from the video games or comics that we haven't seen like e- even i'm saying like to me that doesn't matter as much that one detail please keep sending us the oh, stuff sure. i think it's fascinating mm-hmm. and such an interesting perspective Absolutely. I- i'll also say just to give a little more like perspective on this kind of stuff i recently was able to track down a poster that i had when i was a child hanging over my um my bed, my early room, I think, Paul, even before I knew you, this when I was like 10, mm-hmm. 12, and it's an early publicity poster for Star Wars. And it shows Luke Skywalker 
with an incredibly like Chris Hensworth Thor, you know, level of chest muscles, <laughs> um, holding up a lightsaber while Princess Leia uh, clings to his leg in a very kind of like submissive but powerful way, holding a blaster, wearing this like flimsy white thing that her like leg all the way up to the thigh yeah. is like sticking out of and like showing off her leg. Yeah. And it's like, this is like, like seventies pulp sci-fi. This has nothing to do with movie. They use this. Um, they use the same artwork when they did the two thousand five uh, DVD re-releases. Yeah. yeah, and so I do wonder who's the guy who like saw that poster in seventy eight and then went and was like, "Wait, where's Leia's outfit? I don't get it." <laughs> they just had to wait a few years till Return of the Jedi came out, and they're like, "Oh, okay, gold bikini, cool." <laughs> there you go. There you go. That'll do uh, it for us. Nice. Anyway, so, um, Aaron, thanks so much for writing in. Other people, please write in. Let us know what you think. Uh, I'll, I'll give that information in a second, but just know that kind of feedback is what makes this show so great, and would love to hear, hear more of it. Um, mm-hmm. As I said, though, all of us are doing other projects as well. Uh, a big thing we're doing this, this season is collaborating with the folks from Animation Deliberation, who, um, Jay Scotty, you are now on my list uh, with Paul of people who have annoyed me by making me watch interesting television. Um, <laughs> well him done. and uh, Zuhair on the Animation Liberation are covering a show called Incredible uh, Invincible. Correct. Which is both – anyone who listened to me watch The Boys knows that I don't really deal well with blood and gore, and it has a lot of that. But it's also incredibly good, and I would not have gotten into it if it weren't for you and Zuhair talking about it so much. So – uh, cool. Talk to us about what you guys are doing on uh, Animation Liberation, both with that show and with other stuff coming up. Yes, yes, indeed. So, uh, as I mentioned, we just got finished with our coverage of the first season. Um, it was eight episodes that premiered on Amazon Prime there. Uh, we had an absolute blast covering that, as well as uh, we've also been doing Young Justice. That's taken a little bit of a, a backseat as we've started to get more and more series coming out here Uh Obviously, we're really excited to be have the opportunity to do this collaboration with you for Bad Batch. But right after that, towards the end of May, we'll roll right into MODOK. And uh, nice. yeah, that'll be an absolute blast to cover as well. So um, as far as animation deliberation goes, we should be on all the various uh, podcasting platforms there in terms of how you get your podcasts. Uh, we are still a, a new show. So if you have the time and like, like what we're doing here, please uh, leave us a review Apple Podcast is kind of the one that takes precedent. Uh, of course, we'll take reviews on whatever platform you, you prefer. But if you do leave the review on the Apple Podcast, we are still doing our T-shirt giveaway, which is one of the benefits of being part of the Stranded Panda Network. So um, please check us out, Animation Deliberation Podcast. And if you have feedback, Animation Deliberation Podcast at Gmail is the place to send that. Or you can tag myself or Zuhair on in the stranded panda chat and if you're not a part of that i, I can't encourage you enough to uh check out all the wonderful things that go on there awesome yeah i i'm really i've, I've listened to your episodes about young justice and i'm really looking forward to listening to what you guys have to say about incredible i, I don't know why i keep calling it that invincible we, we will inco- cover the, the incredible at some point down the road yeah. Yes. yeah there you go sure. uh paul what about you if people want to hear more of what you're doing uh just add zen madman at the places uh yeah that's all Awesome. Yeah, Paul's also been uh, off and on uh, at various points in time on this podcast as well as Superhero Ethics. He and I, as well as a a new new podcaster we've been working with named Will Freeland, uh, new to us. He's been doing some great podcasts on comic stuff on Hype is My Superpower podcast. But the three of us did a whole series on the ethics of Falcon the Winter Soldier. Definitely worth checking out and hearing Paul on that. 
Uh, and I'd say there's also so many other great podcasts on the Stranded Panda Network. There you'll find podcasts about Star Trek, obviously Star Wars, the MCU. Um, so uh, so many great things. Check out all that stuff. And before I do our, my contact information, I just want to give one last quick plug for myself. Um, in my other life, I work as a nonprofit executive. I work for an organization called Code Savvy. It's a group I really believe in. Um, it It starts with the idea that uh, for a lot of people, especially girls or kids of color or kids who don't have many economic resources, the doors to learning about computer science and technology and things like that are often closed, either because they don't have access or because they only ever see white boys and white males doing that kind of work and they don't think that they're welcome in it. My organization is dedicated to really fixing that. We do that through everything from uh, Spanish language coding clubs at schools to teaching teachers how to bring coding into the into those environments to holding Girls only um, coding opportunities, entrepreneurship opportunities to, you know, hands-on mentorship-led activities for all kids that are targeted at schools that need it most. All kind of great activities like that. We're in the middle of our spring fundraiser. We're trying to raise money for a number of things, including to expand our staff and to expand our uh, resources and our ability to really reach the kids who need it most. Uh, if you're interested in this, if you go to GiveMN, G-I-V-E-M-N dot org, and search for Code Savvy, C-O-D-E-S-A-V-V-Y. You'll find our fundraiser. You can give, you know, five, ten. I mean, more is great, but even just like five, ten bucks, getting more people donating, more people aware of it is such a great thing. I'll also put a link to the fundraiser uh, in the show notes for this. You can check that out there. So if not, no worries at all. There's so many other good causes right now that people can give to. But if you got a few bucks, if you think helping more kids learn about computer science and helping more kids learn they can be creators, not just uh, users of technology, please give that a thought. Um, that said, if you want to contact us, all the podcasting that I do goes under the name The Ethical Panda. You can search for The Ethical Panda on Facebook or Twitter. You can email us at theethicalpanda at gmail.com. You can find all that by just going to theethicalpanda.com. So about myself, Scotty, Paul, uh, Zuhair, and Brian, who are going to be here for other episodes, thank you all so much. Have a great day. May the force be with you. And also with you. Because I'll never outgrow my Episcopalian childhood. Ha, ha, ha.